please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Kings. We're going to pick up in the middle of a story of God's people who are going through trying times, to say the least, self-inflicted, most definitely. We read about a king that comes along to the southern country of Judah. If you remember, Israel has now been divided between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. This because of sin. What else can we say? And now that they're divided, they're both going to be conquered. Israel first, we've read about that in the previous chapter, conquered by Assyria. But Judah fared better. They had kings who were more willing to honor God and none more impressive than King Hezekiah. In 2 Kings chapter 18, we read this about Hezekiah starting in verse 1. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His, mo- his mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord that had been given by Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you are seated, just a reminder today, we do have Kingdom Kids. Kingdom Kids is a ministry for kiddos who are out of the nursery, meaning they are four years old, and carries on through second grade. It is, of course, an option, but if you want your kids to have a chance to go and worship and learn at their level, uh, they are welcome to participate. They're going to gather over here, head over to our CLC, that's our Christian Life Center, that's a metal building over here where our gym sets also we're going to be having fellowship lunch downstairs in the fellowship hall after service today. And they can be picked up after our time of worship has concluded. Uh, before we pray, uh, what a beautiful service it's been so far. We praise God for that. Uh, from the kids sh- uh, singing uh, to the bookers sharing. And uh, I cried. You cried. We all cried. I know. And I don't want to do it again, not right now, but y'all have been such a blessing to our church for so many years. And Mike, just being able to get to know you as a brother in Christ and the times we spent praying and reading God's word together and discipling one another has been an incredible blessing. And I'm just, I'm thankful y'all found a church home where you can continue to serve and love the Lord. And I know that church is incredibly blessed because of you guys. And we're blessed because of the example you've set and the, sh- and the testimony you've shared today. 
And so just love you guys. So proud of you. So thankful for you. And, uh, and I encourage all of you to express that in some way or another uh, today or in the coming days. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this time of worship that in your infinite wisdom, you have called us together as believers. Knowing that we needed this moment each week to come to this place. God, something special to know, not only us, but other believers in our own community, in our county, in our state, around the world, will gather on Sunday morning, the day that Christ rose from the dead, and worship you. Some for fear of their lives, and some in freedom such as us. God, we gather here not just for us. We gather here first and foremost to honor you. But we know that you are present with us in a unique and special way. Your word tells us that. Your son Jesus said that. And his unique presence, and it's hard for us to understand what this means, but somehow he said, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I shall be with them also. And so in some way, that maybe we can't understand, but in some way, the spirit of your son Jesus is here with us. And God, we want to come to you with our hearts opened. Help us to be real with you. Help us to listen to what you have to say. Help us to be honest about what's going on in our lives. Help us to lay all that out before you today. God, as we enter into a time of studying your word, I pray pray that you would help our minds to think clearly about what we see in the scriptures. Help our hearts to be softened by your Holy Spirit to receive what you have to show us. And Father, even though this is for a few moments, God, I pray that it will prepare our hands to leave this place and to go out and to live what you show us today. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today as we look at what we've already read is one of the most impressive kings of Judah. There's one word that keeps popping up in chapter 18 and 19, and it's the word trust. It's the word trust. We are called upon to trust God. It reminds me of an old illustration that maybe you've heard before. You bring a chair up on a stage like one of these, one of the pew chairs or what have you. And you say, do you trust this chair to hold you up? And you may think, well, I did have a few donuts this morning, so uh, I don't know. It looks like a sturdy chair. You kind of check, make sure nobody's around. You remember, remember when you used to, you'd see somebody sitting down in class and you'd pull the chair out from under them? That's not cool. Don't do that. But, you know, it's also, it's also very hilarious. So it's, it's, it's easy to understand why you might want to do something. So you check your surroundings and say, I, I think, I think this chair could hold me up. But it's not till you sit in it that you demonstrate trust, right? And God's people are called upon to trust him. But the thing I want to point out is something that you already know, which is that there are things within us and there are things around us that if we allow it, can erode that trust that we have in God. There's things within us and there are things around us that if we allow it, can erode our trust in God, and the results of that can be devastating. That's what we see in Israel as it's conquered, and in Judah, which will also eventually be conquered by another power 
Babylon. We see specifically here in Scripture that we're covering today that there was sin within Judah. And there was the world around Judah that could have eroded the trust that King Hezekiah had in God. But through the help of God, that trust was only strengthened. Now we need that trust. We can go through a lot of things in life and it can be challenging to us. And we need to trust that God has a bigger view. God is wiser than me. God is stronger than me. God is more loving than me. He cares about me. He knows what's going on in my life. I matter to him. We need that trust. I think in order to have the full and joyful life that Christ intends for us to have. That trust that we have in Jesus, though, the enemy knows that if I can get that trust eroded, if I can begin to cause them to doubt that I am good, just as the serpent did in the Garden of Eden as it whispered into Adam and Eve's ears, did God really say? The enemy knows if he can erode the trust we have with God, then separation begins to happen. Space between us and God. And our life with God can become unraveled. And unfortunately, that's exactly what you see in Israel and Judah. They allowed the sin and the temptation to sin within them and the pressures of the world around them to keep them from trusting God. But we have this shining example in the midst of all of this that shows us what it looks like to hold on to trust. Within, Judah was worshiping other gods. This is not news. We've been talking about this. This is the beginning of the journey of God's people leaving the promised land or leaving uh, Egypt, going through the wilderness, entering into the promised land. We've been talking about this reality that God said, don't worship these gods. And Israel said, yeah, but that God said, if I worship it, everybody says, if I worship that God, we'll get rain. And we desperately need rain. We know something about that. So that's what's taking place. And so Judah, just like its northern uh, brother, Israel, is worshiping other gods. And so when, when Hezekiah comes into the kingdom and he becomes king, he begins to disrupt things. He begins to tear down all these idols. He begins to turn people back to God. Now I think about that. I think what that, what, what did that must have been like? Because it was prevalent. It was everywhere. Everybody was worshiping other gods alongside of their worship of Yahweh, which is the God of Israel often is called Yahweh. Whenever you see in the Bible the name Lord and it's L-O-R-D all in caps, that is a substitute for the name Yahweh. And that would be the God of Israel's official name. So here they are gathering and worshiping all these other gods instead of the one true God, Yahweh. And Hezekiah says, we're putting an end to all that. We're only going to worship God. But again, what's the temptation? Seems a little strange to us. We think, I'm not really, I don't really have a 
desire to worship something made of stone, something made of wood. I'm not really drawn or, or, or feel a need to worship the God of the clouds of thunder and rain or what have you. The God of fertility that we may, our sheep and goats may have more kids. We may have more kids, that we may be more prosperous. I don't, I don't really feel an inclination to worship those kinds of gods. But that was just the gods of their day. We got gods today too. We've got gods of prosperity. If I worship the God of prosperity, then I'll have more stuff. If I do X, Y, and Z, then I can have more money in the bank. We can worship the God of sexuality, and that becomes our deity, is to express ourselves however we want in a sexual way. We can worship the God of fame or popularity and just know that if I say the right thing, if I do the right thing, if I, if I look impressive to other people, then I will get that affirmation. Now, if I went back a couple thousand years and expressed that to the people of, of Hezekiah's day and said, well, this is what's kind of like in 21st century in a place called America, he'd probably think I was crazy. So it sounds a little strange to us that they're worshiping these idols, but you got to put yourself kind of in their place and just kind of think about, well, what, were they, what was the end goal here? The end goal was to get rain, to get more crops, to get more kids, to get more livestock that they could be prosperous. And they allowed the worship of these other things to draw them in. And so the question for us is, what is it for us? What are the sins within that whisper in our ear, I have something better for you than God? Because that's what these idols said. You got the God of Yahweh, sure. But you also got God of fertility, God of rain. Worship both of them, and that is in fact what they did. And let me tell you, that's something we can do too, to our own detriment. We can worship God, and then we can go about our lives worshiping many other gods. It's possible to do. Not without consequences, not without problems, but it's possible to do. And here you see them doing that. They listen to the lie that sin always whispers in our ear. I've got something better for you. This is the path to the life you really want. That's what sin whispers. Hezekiah sees this and he tears down all these idol worships, all these idols that the people worshipped. But that's not the only thing he did. He didn't just look at the sins within that were eroding the trust of God, knowing that God knows better. What God wants is better. But he also had to deal with threats from around them. Assyria was not just content with overtaking Israel, the northern kingdom. It also wanted to take care of the southern kingdom, Assyria. And so we read here that the easy thing for Hezekiah to do would just be to bow to Assyria, do whatever they want, placate them, and hopefully they don't get destroyed. But we read that he quit serving. He rebelled against the king of Assyria. He quit serving the king of Assyria like his predecessors did. He saw the world around him and knew the pressures that it was putting on them and said no. In the face of death, he said no. And it would be helpful for us to think about the world around us. What pressure does it put on us to be like them? What pressure is there in our world to conform, to be like it. 
Hezekiah saw this and he resisted. And in fact, if you continue to read through 18 and 19 and 20, you see that that resistance paid off. As he resisted, he was tested. In fact, Hezekiah's enemy, the king of Assyria, would send people to him and say, don't trust in God. God cannot handle Assyria, Assyria's king, and Assyria's gods. Don't trust in God. And then the representatives of the king of Assyria would say, not only to Hezekiah, but to all the people, he'd say to all the people, don't let Hezekiah fool you into thinking you can trust God. You cannot. And you may hear things, you may see things, you may experience things. There may be just little ways in which your trust is eroded in God. It may be the temptation to sin within and you believe that whatever that sinful thing is, is going to bring you happiness and joy. It promises what it can't deliver, but it is enticing. And we can hold on to that, but that will erode our trust that when God said, do this, don't do that. That God knows best. And it would be helpful to us to think about what pressures do we face from the world around us that erode our trust in God, that pull us away from God, that encourage us to think only about what other people think and what other people are doing. The sin within, the pressure without. If we allow it to, can erode our trust in God. And here Hezekiah stands and he, and he does some incredible things in his time as king. Resisting the powers that put pressure on him. Cutting down the worship of idols in his own country. Over and again, trusting God, trusting God, trusting God. Now if you've read through 2 Kings, you know he was not perfect in this. But he set an example with his overall life of when we get up against it. I'm going to trust God. I want to encourage you to think about this. Are there sins in your life or is there temptation to sin in your life that is promising you something that is better than God? Resist that. Are there pressures outside of you from family or friends or whomever? The general culture that we live in that is inviting you to question God in a distrusting kind of way. And like Hezekiah, I think we can resist. Now, how did Hezekiah resist? What did he know? He knew the story of Yahweh. He knew that by grace, God chose for himself a man named Abraham to create a people who would walk with him. And that people who became Israel that that people would represent God to the world. And through that people that God one day would send an eternal king to sit on the throne who would rule and reign over heaven and earth for eternity. Hezekiah would have heard that story. He would have known that history of his people. And to remind himself of that, I believe is the power he had to resist. To say no to the sins that were raging war on them from within, the idol worship. And also to resist the pressure from without, the Assyrians and those around them putting pressure on them. 
to no longer serve God, but serve their gods. So what I want to say to you this morning is it helps to remember. Not just to resist sin, not just to resist the pressure from one out, but to remember what we know of God, the promises of God, the goodness of God, to look and to see Him above all else. To see that He is good, He is loving, He is kind, He is patient, He is eternal. He has a plan. It's better than any other plan. He has blessings. It's better than anything sin could promise. In Him is security, more so than any other nation that may be around us. Anything else that offers us that security. To remember who God is, I believe, gives us the power, the strength to resist. And here's what we remember as believers, as Christians. Is it that sin that promises so much actually has a cost? And that cost is death. And the culture around us that wants us to conform to them so much, there's actually one who says, no, I want you to conform to my likeness. That person is Jesus. Jesus comes in the world not only to conquer our sin, but to conquer the evil in the world. And to give us hope for a future. And for that we give thanks. And because of that, I think we find the resources we need to resist both the sin, the pressure to sin, the temptation to sin within, to resist the pressure from without, to conform and to be like the rest of the world, to know this, that God has loved me in Jesus, that my sin in him is forgiven, and that he has a future for me secured in Christ. And if I know that, if I trust that, if I remember that, Man, it sure does help. Because the truth is, is that you and I are going to walk out and we are going to face sin. We're going to face temptation. We're going to enter into a world that is not interested in encouraging you to believe Jesus. That will not encourage you to trust God with your life. But if we are able to trace back, what does our faith tell us? Our faith tells us that we have a God who saw us in our sorry state of sin. We have a God who came from heaven and hurt, from heaven to earth to die for us. We have a God that loves us and has forgiven us, has taken our sin upon himself, that we might be forgiven. We have that kind of God. And when I know that, when I remember that, when I place that before me, day in and day out, when I have to recall that to memory as I pray, this is my standing before God. It's Jesus. This is how good God is, that he would give me Christ as my Savior and Lord. When I go over that history, just as I'm sure Hezekiah had to do, I can see through the lies of sin. I can resist the pressure to conform. No matter what, the world throws at me. I have a solid foundation, and that is Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the chance for us to gather in this place today to worship you, to hear from you, to God, hear testimony about you, how you have worked in, in the lives of the bookers, in the lives of our church. God, I pray and ask that you would Help us to see how much you love us. That if you would give your son Jesus for us, there can be no question 
the depths of your love for us. And we would hold on to that, the truest thing we know, that you have loved a sinner like me. As we hold on to that, God, that we might resist the sin and the pressure to conform. And in our everyday lives, we might be like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So challenge us, Father. Show us where is sin that we're tempted to give into. Where is the pressure that calls us to conform? Help us to resist. Help us not to give in. But help us to look to Jesus, who loves us so much he would give his life for us. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we enter into a time of invitation, I invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing together a hymn without him. And if you need prayer this morning,